Yes, welcome, 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 show that comes to you once a week, recapping the Hollywood week that was, getting you ready for the Holly Weird week to come. This is Mike, Mike, and Oscar Weekly, hashtag MMO Weekly, hashtag MMOW. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host, also Mike. Also Mike here. We got a big news story right off the top. We're going to shuffle around the format a little Mm -hmm. bit. We just had a production meeting, and we want to get to some of these trailers early. We want to get to the news of the week, of course, early. We're going to push the What We're Watching segment, and we reviewed a lot of things this week. Uh, for everybody, uh, those rapid-fire reviews, so you can just thumbs up, thumbs down from us. Uh, we love that segment. I have to sing. It's fun. <laughs> but we're going to push that towards the end. We've got a serious discussion at the very end of the episode. Yeah. And, of course, right in the middle, you know, you got your audience interaction, box office update, all the go-to news stories and do you care. That's the format this week, and we're excited. Yeah, and that's the layout. Mike gave you a rundown of what's going to happen in this program. And like you said, we're going to start right at the top with some big news of the week involving a uh, much beloved and anticipated sequel. Let's get into it. News, 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 So Halloween has a sequel yeah. for 2020. Oh! October 16th is the tentative date. Yeah. Is similar to what we had this last go-around with 2018's David D- Gordon Green, Jamie Lee Curtis, Sequel reboot. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, sequel boot. <laughs> requel? <laughs> a requel. That's kind of, that sounds awful. But yeah, uh, Halloween's a go. That's, we know that. Uh, that's all we know. <laughs> we, we don't really know who's involved. We, we have rumors. We have presumptions. We're going to get into all of it. But that's the big story for this week. Uh, the reality is the only thing we know for sure is that Halloween is a go. There's a sequel to the 2018 movie that we all just reviewed and seemed to love. And there was a huge box office for it. But the reality is that the sequel going forward is all that's it. Every source I've read from Jeff Snyder's work on Collider to Greg Dean Schmitz's article on Rotten Tomatoes to the reporting done uh, on the green light from the MarySue.com says that Universal's moving forward with a sequel so we're huge fans we demonstrated as much <laughs> by reviewing every single yes. film in the halloween franchise by whatever production company was in charge and that's what i want to talk about here the production companies in charge of 2018's original was miramax it was malik akkad's company it was universal peripherally and two producers thwaite and divine they basically decided and they sold a cod on the fact that, all right, we have to give this property to somebody who can handle it, who can relate to modern horror audiences. And the first name that came up was Jason Blum. It's like the Blumhouse. only name when it comes to horror anymore. So we covered the story last week where basically Blum was lamenting the fact that he did not have the rights to the sequel to 2018's Halloween. He was trying to get hold of those, Mm -hmm. and apparently he did. We don't know that story yet. We don't know if he got a sweeter deal, but we do know that Blumhouse is going to be behind, we think, 
This Another presumption. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of assumptions and presuming, and one of those alongside that you think Blumhouse there's is good reason for, for the ride. Sure, is that we there's also the presumption that the triumvirate of leading ladies that were in the 2018 version will return, since both the Rotten Tomato and the MarySue.com articles rely on Snyder's Collider story for sourcing. That's where most of the info here comes from. But the assumption is that each of the three leading women, that's Andy Matichek who played Allison, Judy Greer who played Karen, and yes, Miss Strode herself, Jamie Lee Curtis will return. They're all expected to be back for the third version of Halloween 2 yeah. because you can't have enough that we will be getting. Now this is confusing, but I'm going to try and lay it out. <laughs> this reboot sequel is both. It was yeah. a sequel now to 1978's Halloween. 2018's version right. was technically a sequel to that. Now I agree with you in the fact that this is still a third version of quote-unquote Halloween 2. It is going to be literally the third version right. titled Halloween 2. And here's why. Because 1981's Halloween 2 was that direct sequel to 1978's John mm-hmm. Carpenter original. 2009's Halloween 2 was the direct sequel to 2007's Rob Zombie Halloween original. I would go even further and say that the first 20 minutes might have been the best sequel uh, wow. to... 1978's original, <laughs> based on action horror movie goods right there, except he screwed it up with making the rest of that movie. But, of course, 2020's film will be the direct sequel to 2018's Halloween, and it's confusing, but it is a sequel in the in the sense that they're all building off of the 1978 original, and whether it was an original sequel like 81 a reimagining like 2009 or the reboot sequels sequel <laughs> here in 2020 halloween two times three i have gone cross-eyed say sequel again <laughs> it's, it's just alternating timelines different variations of timelines uh, yeah but this will be the third version the third different halloween two we will be getting now what jamie lee curtis returning could mean to the franchise and what it could tell us a lot it could mean that david gordon green is going to be back as director as well and that means he could be bringing that second part of his and danny mcbride's original script with him you got to read some tea leaves here but jamie lee curtis has famously said on the record in doing the promotional rounds for Halloween last fall that, quote, if David Gordon Green called me and said, let's do another Halloween, I would do another Halloween. That quote's from a Slash Film article from uh, Chris Evangelista last year. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't be the only time that the original Laurie Strode made such a statement. She clearly has an affinity for the young director's vision, speaking glowingly about him in literally every promotional video you can find on YouTube about the 2018 version. And there's a great likelihood that she was able to parlay the message to the head of Blumhouse as well, because last month, Jason Blum on his Instagram posted a selfie of himself posing with Mrs. Curtis and had the caption of, we're discussing stuff. And that kind of kicked off this whole frenzy and assumption that Halloween 2 was coming before the official announcement came out earlier this week. This is kind of like the Kyrie Irving chase right now. We all <laughs> we all kind of know who Except the, this I care about. <laughs> yeah, but who the main players are right. and what's going to happen. All right, so here's the bottom line and something we covered in the past. David Gordon Green has a full schedule. He's producer, writer, director, creator on a TV series coming out about Emily Dickinson called Dickinson. He's attached to director Walter Cronkite movie starring Seth Rogen called Newsflash. And he's been attached to the next Friday Night Lights movie, Mike. I think that's a movie. It might be a TV series. I didn't click on it. Should he drop everything yes. to do the Halloween sequel? Of course he should, because 
This made 160 something domestically. Yeah, 176, and, I think. And Pineapple Express was his most successful film to date. Before that, made 80 something million direct, uh, uh, directly or domestically. And this is his biggest movie by far. He should drop everything and do this. I well, it's almost unfair for me to give any kind of personal comment about what I think should happen with regards <laughs> to the Halloween series because yes, I also think it should have a 150 million dollar budget. But that's neither here nor there, I guess. You get 11 million on this one. Last time it was 10. Now you get 11. We're going to talk about the budget in a minute as well, but even though Blumhouse, like Mike told you before, hasn't given comment about whether they'll be involved directly in the sequel, considering how reliant Universal and the Cod family and others was on the horror studio for the 2018 version, it would be foolish to presume they wouldn't rely on Blumhouse to guide the sequel towards financial success as well. So, we have Jason Blum discussing stuff with Jamie Lee Curtis. A month before, we had Universal coming out and saying Halloween 2 is a go with the likely return of the three female leads. Now, to me, this all suggests that everything is in David Gordon Green's hands. Like you said, he does have a full schedule, but I I get the feeling that whether they have some kind of contractual understanding laid out and there's just got to be some T's crossed and some I's dotted or whether Universal needs to woo him all over again from the start and, and bring DGG into the fold here to build him back up. I think everything is kind of reliant on him signing the dotted line. I think that'll officially bring back the three women and that'll get this whole project underway. It's also important to remember that when Green and writing partner Danny McBride originally pitched their version for Halloween sometime in 2016 to Universal, it was pitched as a two-parter already, Mm -hmm. and it would have to be parsed down from there to get to the one film we saw last year, so he has a sequel in mind. He came loaded with that already. Two ways to read it. Cynical way to read it is that 2018's film made so much money off that minuscule budget, made so many people very happy, so many hands involved, uh, and you're going to talk about it in a second, that we have to make a, a sequel to it because money. Sure, as because much as most things are. So McBride could have a good idea, David Gordon Green and company, and McBride could have a bad idea Yeah. for the sequel. They don't care if it's such a moneymaker, <laughs> right, because it's going to make money. Again, the, reason, the cynical reason would be sure. money. All that being said, we could have an optimistic reading of it all and say that, well, he had such a great idea for the first movie that it was a part of a two-movie script, and now that we have so much faith in what they did with that first movie that we know they're going to deliver with the second movie, and this is all part of a bigger story, I kind of believe that second version. I want to believe that That's second version. Give me another great movie, please! Well, I can't also imagine David Gordon Green's going to take the helm and just release a stinker if he did have a sequel in mind. Like Michael Myers becomes a daycare counselor or something. Like I don't think that's the. <laughs> that's, that's actually a great idea. That's the route we're going. Uh, the 2018 version of Halloween famously opened Lots with 70, of Michael. <laughs> 76 million domestically. It went on to gross more than a quarter billion dollars worldwide, which was reportedly 25 and a half times the production budget of 10 million dollars. I personally hope that if the gang does return, that budget does get bumped up a little, and all the major players be paid their worth because Jamie Lee Curtis, Judy Greer, and David. Gordon Green all went on the record during promotion for the 2018 film and said how they were paid virtually nothing just to get this script made. So they kind of deserve a payment if they're going to come back for a sequel, I think. Uh, It's been a long time since a Halloween sequel opened at a higher box office than its predecessor. Mm -hmm. Uh, Taking the 2018 film aside, the last Halloween sequel movie to do better than the entry prior to it was H2O, and that was all the way back in 1998. Well deserved, but yeah. Yeah, agree. And of the 11 canonical Myers films, a direct sequel has only opened at a greater box office than its direct predecessor three times. 
So with 2018's Halloween being the second highest October opening of all time and the highest grossing film ever to feature a female lead aged 55 or over, a Halloween 2 of greater success could mean we're in for another 11 films featuring everyone's favorite slasher, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> pay those people, pay yes. those talented people, and let's get another terrific movie. Let's do this. And sign the contract, David Gordon Green, and my speculation. Just get this going. Yeah. And listen to the MMO Does Halloween playlist, please, because oh, we still yeah. love those episodes. A lot of great stuff in there. Well, let's move on here to some trailer thoughts. Trailer thoughts! Few trailers, some with some Oscar relevancy, and the first one we're going to talk about just debuted earlier today on this Monday of the 24th, Queen and Slim, which played a big role into our 100% accurate Oscar predictions coming for 2020, which we did a couple days after last year's Oscars Awards, predicting the future, but Daniel Kaluuya's in this is a Melina Matsukis directorial film. This one gave me goosebumps. That was an awesome trailer. Holy cripe, you got the play out of the, the big scene with the cop mm -hmm. confrontation there shocking how that worked out you got a great cast daniel kaluuya bokeem woodbine chloe sevigny melina matzoukas uh director of insecure and a bunch of music videos for beyonce and whit houston a ton of great artists mm -hmm. sturgill simpson's gonna be in here mike <laughs> and of course we have jody turner smith who really seems to be getting a lot of oscar buzz out the gate look at the eye that matzoukas has with some of these camera shots. I love the cross cut between the two of them in the car. Yeah. You see both mm -hmm. of the side mirrors mm -hmm. and they're only in half a frame and then half a frame. I, I love that. Uh, and then it's, you get that, you know, drone shot above the crime scene or what, whatever, what, what happened there. Yeah. Holy cripe. And then you got the montage to end this to staying alive. The Bee Gees working in there. It seems like a modern day or a retelling or reinvention of Bonnie and Clyde, but instead of being, out-and-out -out criminals, I mean, they, they do, they, they assassinate a cop that's in this, but it's self, it seems like self-defense. It's, it's Bonnie and Clyde, but with a modern-day issue presented into it, yeah. and it's, it's going to play on that, the, all the racial stuff and all the cop stuff that's that's been going on in the news and every day. My Lord, does this look like a heavy movie. This is an Oscar contender, right? It looks right, I mean, from a trailer alone, it's quack, you would think. Quacking like yeah. an Oscar duck, for certain Love Daniel Kaluuya's career choices thus far. Yeah. He doesn't pick very many no. bad films. Excited to see that one. Yeah, that we'll, we're in. Move on to Stranger Things 3. Season 3 had its final trailer come out. Production values look phenomenal. I'm glad we get a big, bigger sense of the story here. The last trailer was very much a teaser. I loved some of the hooks here, Mike. But I closed the door on them, didn't I? Saying, said Eleven. That's the worst impression of Eleven in the history of mankind. Actually, what if we locked him in here with us? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. The kid who's the shit magnet for throughout the rest of the series. <laughs> Forget the kid's name. Holy shit, Mike. This looks pretty intense yeah it does did you watch season two i did i haven't yet i'm going to in the lead up to this it's fun uh those are like practical effects for the monster's foot right they use a lot of practical effects the duffer brothers are all about 80 cinema right but there's also a lot of cgi in i'm sure. For sure yeah i think the duffer brothers they, they make us really care about this cast of characters so I cannot wait to hang out with them again based off the last trailer. It seems like we're going to have a lot of fun mm -hmm. with the coming-of-age story. And then now we got an adventure that, that actually hooked me, and I'm into this whole let's get bigger and crazier and more monster movie goods. I agree. I, I co-sign 
this is probably going to be the last season where you can rely on them being small children, though, because Millie Bobby Brown, Finn Wolfhard, all these kids, they're wholly in their teenage years now. They're, they're, they're adolescents. You can see them on Instagram. They're they're enjoying their fame, and they're traveling, and they're doing all kinds of stuff, and they're growing up. Well, at least they're not in seventh grade in this story. They're in high school. We know they're in high school, right? Yeah, uh, maybe lose, like, the suspenders, like the looks that try to look <laughs> make you look younger. Maybe get a haircut in Millie Bobby Brown. Don't try to have her look like that bowl cut for the rest of the, uh, the time Stranger Things is on. I don't know. Yeah, okay, so you have an issue with the makeup. They're trying to make them look so young, and I get it, but I don't know. Issue. We'll see. What grade are they in? That's what I want to know. If they're in 10th grade, all right, fine. More importantly, which carnival do you want to go to? The one from this trailer or the one from Toy Story 4? Oh, Toy Story 4, 100 times out of 100. I think I would like to watch this carnival on TV. It would be fun. But I'd like to live in Toy Story 4. Thank you very much. Midsummer. Ari Aster's latest also had its final trailer released. My Lord, what are we looking at here? I love that the third trailer is just giving us these like kernels of explosive information. This is information be, that makes my brain break. This is going to be gross. <laughs> it's going to be so gross. Uh, the sun is bright at 9 p.m. here. What the WTF? What game are they playing? Ill. <laughs> WTF times 100. The drinks. Yeah. Like all the mixing of the dr- the spells. The bearded guy blowing some kind of terrifying dust at somebody. At the audience, really. So are we just going to ignore the bear? <laughs> it's a bear. <laughs> and then all the quick cuts of the gross stuff at the end. The barbecue. Yeah. All that stuff. Yeah, there's something going on. This is very off-putting. Ari Aster is very, very good at making the, the audience or the viewer or making us feel so uncomfortable watching what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea what I'm looking at, but I know I don't want to stare at it anymore. I agree. Uh, <laughs> but the big question for us, are we going to review this as a movie event or as an Oscar sprint profile, Mike? I, I think it's going to be too gross for an Oscar sprint I, I feel the same. And especially if Tony Collette couldn't get her hooks in, mm-hmm. I can't imagine this one has Academy legs. I think I've commented on that before. I'm, it doesn't make me any less excited to see it. I'm thrilled. I'm super, super stoked to see what's going on. I'm, like, legitimately afraid. But nervous. Yeah, I'm nervous. absolutely. Absolutely. I, I don't, don't want to see a grown man get skinned <laughs> in broad daylight <laughs> for, in real time. No! <laughs> That's the one thing that grosses me out beyond everything else. I can't deal with it. Yeah. It's been in some fantasy books that I've read. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh, Terry Goodkind. We're going to find out. Only a couple weeks to go until that one hits theaters. Pain and Glory is another trailer that we saw uh, as an homage to something that went down at Cannes. Yeah, Pedro Almodovar, Penelope Cruz, and Antonio Banderas star. The premise reads, A film director reflects on the choices he's made in life as past and present come crashing down around him. He is a celebrated director of melodrama, FYI. I know you're not as familiar with him. No. Uh, You know, Watch all about my mother. <laughs> Lots of his movies. We got. We probably should do a retrospective just to give you a taste of a Pedro movie because he's nuts. This See, I love him. This doesn't inspire confidence. <laughs> <laughs> the trailer is a montage, and I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not a huge fan of this trailer. Uh, strong production values. Looks like we're going to have good performances, strong performances. But I was hoping for more story here. I have no idea. This looks like a stereotypical art house international film type uh, thing that if somebody were to make a mock 
trailer about yeah. like making fun of what international cinema they think international cinema is they would make something close to this but trailer to I feel me like. based on his filmography he can make a trailer like once upon a time in hollywood and i would totally believe it and be ex- more excited for yeah. this. yeah he could totally do it up tempo great music trailer like almodovar's made some wild and wildly entertaining films but like, instead you get antonio banderas sitting in a chair at the bottom of a pool yeah you do <laughs> so maybe that's that's what the tight kind of film this is they, they know it better than i do uh 81 metascore though yeah big hit at Cannes Film High Festival. numbers, one eight one Antonio Banderas, that best actor award at Cannes. Yeah. Mike, what would you name your biopic? <laughs> this is gonna sound ridiculous, but Walking the Pug. <laughs> walking the Pug. Very good. That's the first thing that came to my mind. I'm sticking with it. I have a pug. I walk every day. <laughs> Very it's on a metaphor the for, on the nose setup. Yeah, there. but it's also a metaphor. <laughs> it's just a, it's a remake. It's a reimagining of uh, Harry and Tonto. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hope we get it to half as much hijinks. I hope you would hate it. Uh, yeah, probably. Ready or not, also had a a trailer debut. This looks right up our alley. This is amazing. I saw this trailer a few days ago on Twitter. Yeah, and I said then, and I, I continue to believe it's basically your next meets Would You Rather, which I think was a straight-to-VOD horror film starring Britney Snow. Uh-huh. This looks incredible. I cannot wait for this movie. <laughs> OMFG makes Samara Weaving a star yeah. right now. Absolutely. We loved her in Three Billboards. Mm-hmm. She's crushing it in this trailer as the you know the ignorant bride after the, at this rich person's wedding yeah. at this mansion. But there's one little catch. To truly become an official member of this family, Mike. We're going to hunt you. (laughs) On the wedding night, they play a game of hide-and-go-seek. And and they tell her she's got to stay hidden till dawn. And we get the or else. They all weapon up. Yeah. They all weapon the F up. And it's hilarious. It's insane. It's like this crazy purge slash get out premise here. What's going on? So... Hide and Seek was a game they drew by card. What were the other games that they could have possibly picked from? Like Yahtzee with axes? <laughs> they have rituals associated with each one, too. And the husband seems to be helping her. That husband, no. He's a bad guy. He's I bad. don't buy that for a goddamn he's too second. Evil looking. Yeah. Yeah, the husband comes in halfway through the trailer and, and once the bride actually sees all this horrible stuff going down with hide and seek and how they're actually killing people, uh, the husband's like, I'm here to save you. Get the hell out of here. I love so much that one of the guys was watching a how to use a crossbow video <laughs> <Yeah>. on YouTube. <laughs> what the hell is this? Oh, it looks awesome. We, we it were, does. I was worried about August too. This comes out August twenty third. I was worried about August being a dead month. No, that'll be a fun one to, to look at for a movie event. The only complaint I do have, though, if you're going to call your film ready or not, you have to have the song by the Fugees in there with yeah. the same name. Right, <laughs> like, good. you got to feature that somehow. Good call. Yeah. If that's... they got the licensing for the title, could right. they get the licensing for the song? <laughs> <Right>. Come on. <laughs> I agree. Parasite also had its uh, trailer. Came out a couple months ago. We, we missed it. it. Yeah. Totally missed it. Palm Dior winner, 89 Metascore, 98% Rotten Tomatoes, best international film contender, maybe a best picture contender. This is Bong Joon Ho's. Tragic comedies get back to his roots. Yeah, here, did Mike. he just coin a new genre there? Uh, not really. No? It's been out there. Tragic comedies, I know a thing. A dramedy. I don't know. Tragic. I know dramedy. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Well, no, have, tragic comedy would be like the end of the world. I think. All right. With, with uh, that James Franco, Seth Rogen movie. This is the end. If it is. 
<laughs> then I'm going to be very It's a upset. hard left turn from what you expect. I like that movie, yeah. but at the same point, I think it goes back a little further. <laughs> I would guess. I would hope. All right, loyal fans, tell us where tragic comedy came from. Yes. We are two adults <laughs> that don't know, but this is him getting back to his roots. You know, he has a, fam- a movie about a family. He's got a movie about slimy characters involved in a criminal enterprise. And in a seemingly a plot that spirals way you know, out of their control, they're in over their heads, whatever. You, you want don't to get use. a whole lot from the trailer. You don't see a lot of the the push and pull. There's but a lot that of face exposure. Yeah, with or, the blood. Yeah, he's wearing some kind of feather thing, feather <laughs> hat, and he's just like, uh oh. Yeah, you can tell that he's it's an uh oh moment, and that is so Bong Joon Ho. I just rewatched Memories of Murder. I'm going to review it later. I, I can't wait for this movie. I'm excited. I, I'm very excited. And Palm Dior, of course, would means the best picture it was the overall winner of Cannes of that film festival. I would be surprised if we don't hear this one come Oscar time as well, and I think it's just going to keep up its 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 momentum here that it started at Cannes. So hopefully we'll have something to talk about all throughout, and if not, we'll at least uh, review your, or I almost called it your next, we'll at least review, ready or not, <laughs> um, come August, if nothing else. Those are uh, cool trailers, though. Yeah, great. a lot of good trailers. We're getting into the thick of it, getting into Oscar season for sure. We'll transition now to some audience interaction stuff, Michael. Yeah, Six Degrees of MMO. We went from Uma Thurman to Buzz Lightyear connecting our two rewatch series. We are finishing up the Pixar series this week with a, what do we call it? A re-rank, an an award show. Uh, we're, do, we're doing both superlatives. Yeah, we already recorded that. We're really high on it, yeah. and we are going to continue our Tarantino rewatch. So this was the Nexus where we had to connect these two. Now we're going to do something new with our shoutouts on Six Degrees of MMO. This is to stir competition. This yes, is totally to make this much more difficult. We've for you celebrated folks. all of you long enough. Now we want you to turn on one another. We're going to give out three prizes a week instead of just the one. We're going to have the overall winner who will sit on the Iron Throne. That's a giant hashtag made of rusty hangers. We've talked about that every week. But we're also going to give out two more awards every week. One's going to be the Efficiency Award. Yes. That's going to be, we're going to highlight the most efficient, succinct connection, uh, the quickest way to get from whoever to whoever in the Six Degrees game. And the other one... The David Lynch Award. This is the best WTF connection. <laughs> this is the weirdest. This is the strangest. This is something that we just say, how did they do this? Yes. So this is all in the means of stirring competition, and hopefully it gets you all uh, a little more excited and a little more uh, gung-ho about playing and trying to come up with the best connections. Because you guys have been great, and quite frankly, it's not fair that you all have been so good and we need to parse through and pick. So we've tried to come up with categories that make it easier for us to decide and and to go through all your great stuff and, and... highlight the winners and if you do something entirely different than any of these three i don't want to pigeonhole you folks we want to leave a wide open vein of creativity here if you do something else we'll create a new award right if it's if it's merits worthy if it's worthy of having its own uh, award made up for it so then yes, you we could will totally it. totally you know rewrite the show for us by the line <laughs> but right. we did have uma thurman to buzz lightyear and the david lynch award the first ever david lynch award for best wtf connection this week Comes from the depressed moviegoer. Simon the depressed moviegoer at Depressed Movie. He says, Uma was in Pulp Fiction, which had a cameo from Steve Buscemi, who was also in The Big Lebowski. That checks out. The soundtrack of which has a cover of Hotel California by the Gypsy Kings. That band also performed a Spanish version of You've Got a Friend in Me for Toy Story 3 for the Spanish version of Buzz Lightyear. This is awesome. I can't believe he connected 
uh, Uma to Buzz Lightyear via the Gypsy Kings, and he watched all those special features. He remembers it. Uh, it's it's the best WTF connection. You, sir, Simon, are David Lynch this week. <laughs> Worthy, at least. Yeah, the, that Spanish buzz was one of our favorite things about oh, the entire Pixar rewatch series. Love and it. speaking of WTF, I mean, that comes from absolutely out of nowhere. And for him to know that going in, whether he listened to our review, recently saw rewatched Toy Story 3, or just held on to that as a long-beloved segment from a Pixar movie, it's merits highlighting. That's awesome. We also had a lot of debate about Steve Buscemi's cameo in Pulp Fiction. Yes, <laughs> we did. <laughs> He's all about us this week. Great job, Simon, the depressed moviegoer at Depressed Movie. Mike, we got two efficiency award winners this week. They both got it in two or three. I don't know. This is another mental block for me, like the Oscar year, mm-hmm. the 03-04 Oscars. What does that mean? The I don't know if this is two or three connections, so it's, here we go. we got to count the links, so the arrow. So that's one. So you count links. Two, technically three, since they're going to Buzz Lightyear and not Tim Allen, as okay. this first one So does. they each have three. Right. Merck with a movie blog is going to start us off at movie blog Merck with a C. I'm going to get weird. Uma Thurman to Christian Slater and Nymphomaniac. I like it. <laughs> Christian Slater to Tim Allen in Who is Cletus Tout? <laughs> Such a bad movie. Tim Allen, of course, is Buzz Lightyear. That merits mentioning for a couple reasons, not least of which is that we have the only listeners who hear, hey, connect Uma Thurman to Buzz Lightyear, and like, I think there's a nymphomaniac con- connection that I could work in Can here. I use nymphomaniac? <laughs> can I use who is Cletus Tout somehow? That's incredible. Those are so <laughs> obscure. I would never have remembered who is Cletus Tout in the next 20 years if this didn't happen. That's a great So thing. I'm Watching the Show also uh, equaled the Efficiency Award this week at So I'm Watching. Uma Thurman is in Dangerous Liaisons with Keanu! Keanu Reeves voices Duke Kaboom in Toy Story 4, who of course also features Buzz Lightyear. Bing, bang, boom right there. I was a little underwhelmed by Duke Kaboom, I'll be honest. Really? Yeah, I mean, he was funny, but I thought he was going to be on screen more. I didn't get enough of him. Oh, you wanted more? Yeah. I like that he's just, Keanu Reeves is just swooping in mid Keanu sans here (laughs) and just making us really happy for 15 minutes uh, at a movie event. I wish I could remember the kid's name. The kid he belonged I still don't remember it. The kid he belonged to. I didn't re-look it up. I couldn't find it on the internet. I searched the whole... I Google searched that like five different ways. Couldn't find it. Yeah, again, listeners... Are we going to get a Duke Kaboom spinoff? Is that going to happen, maybe? Does that happen on the Disney yeah. uh, streaming mm. plus? We can get a lot oh, of spinoffs yeah. on, on Disney+. Plus. All right, the winner this week, the overall winner, which we're going to keep as the big one that wins the bragging rights, that sits on the Iron Throne, Iron Hashtag Rusty Hanger Throne, that's oh, painted in like a light blue hue. I like light blue. Light blue. Yeah. Well, it's bad paint, though, so like you can see the rust starting to come through. All right, this is a good opportunity for me to actually give a production nugget about Game of Thrones. <laughs> because, Mike, in reality, George R. R. Martin's Iron Throne is supposed to be an entirely humongous throne. It is supposed to have rusty uh, swords sticking out. And what they, if they say is that it's a bad omen that when a king act- or queen actually cuts themselves on the throne, they're omened to essentially die. It's a of terrible tetanus? Omen. Of tetanus? Because yeah, it was the, to, seven, uh, the 1400s or the shots. 1300s? They, absolutely. They didn't have cures? That's a great point that I'm realizing just now. But the throne was this massive thing, and they have paintings of it. Go look up the real Iron Throne if you don't know about it. And it's this little cool, you know, paperweight version on the, on the show. But the Rusty Hanger Throne is not that anti-canonical. Let me just say. They should have painted it like blue. 
Everybody turned us on. <laughs> Garrett Wright is the winner this week. At two views, Garrett. T-W-O views, Garrett. Kramer gets Uma Thurman's phone number in the secretary episode of Seinfeld. Hilarious episode. Kramer is friends with Newman, who's played by Wayne Knight, obviously, in Seinfeld. Wayne Knight is Al, the toy collector from Toy Story 2, who does the whole thing with Woody and has to be saved by Buzz, and Buzz obviously is in Toy Story 2, 3, 1, and 4. Uh, Garrett is the winner this week. I love that episode of Seinfeld. I have a weakness in my heart for Seinfeld overall. I think it was the only show my father ever like watched on television period and when they run the re when they play the reruns he always has to watch them i think i've seen every episode of seinfeld literally four times it entertained daddy yeah, exactly the daddy was happy and therefore exactly. i am happy the children rejoiced no, had a couple is, minutes of peace this is really creative i wonder if garrett watched this episode recently because i know that they've been playing a lot of mm -hmm. seinfeld episodes uh, quite a bit on tv i'm pretty sure that's the one where banya gets lotion on the number and he get, the number gets faded off. Uh, I have Kramer never seen this it. episode. I have never done a full rewatch, really, of Seinfeld. We'll have to do an entire dissertation covering every episode, reviewing them one by one. Oh, Mike, Mike and Emmy, it's coming. <laughs> All right, but now that's a great Mike, job. Mike and Coffee Shop. Worthy winner, Garrett Wright at Two Views. Yes, Garrett Wright, you are the winner this week of Six Degrees of MMO, the overall winner, as well as the Efficiency Awards going to Merck with a Movie Blog, so I'm watching this show with a tie. And the David Lynch Award, the first ever David Lynch Award, going to Simon, the depressed moviegoer. But Garrett Wright sits upon... On the hashtag Iron Throne with Rusty Hangers and our own Six Degrees of MMO universe. You are the owner of all bragging rights of all things Six Degrees of MMO. Mike, what can people try to duke out for and get these awards with next week? All right, so we have to go through Keanu Reeves because we already went to Keanu Reeves mm -hmm. or from Keanu Reeves. Now you got to go through Keanu Reeves. So this is a three-part assignment mm -hmm. for Six Degrees of MMO. We wanted to cover Chucky. We wanted to cover mm -hmm. Child's Play. We probably didn't do it. Maybe it'll be on MMO Weekly because we both still want to see it. Right. I almost went like three times Same this here. weekend. Same I'm here. probably going to go maybe tonight. I'm, I'm into it. Uh, I got to <laughs> make the decision and go. We're still thinking about covering Annabelle Comes Home. Yes. Because we've done all the Conjuring films. Even if it's bad, we haven't covered a stinker in a while. So even if it's bad, we might want to cover one was it. The Nun, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so we have to do it. Yeah. We're going Chucky. To Annabelle through the Keanu Sans. I really like this. Chucky to Annabelle through Keanu Reeves. You gotta hit Keanu Reeves in the middle somewhere. And it plays in well with having these new categories of winners too, because you guys have always proven yourselves to be uber creative and ultra creative. And now you get a chance to really flex those muscles. I would love to see what the efficiency award winner is going to be, because I don't know how you do this one quickly. Because I don't think there's a connection you can make with just going from Chucky to Keanu to Annabelle. Now, I don't think that exists. We didn't look it up. We don't look it up ever. No. But was Keanu Reeves, <laughs> child actor Keanu Reeves in like Child's Play 6? Oh, was he like the uh, teenage, you know, gas station he, attendant? Watch him be related to the Warrens somehow. <laughs> He's their <laughs> nephew in real I'm, life. There's been enough Chuckies, though, that you can connect to Keanu in one. And Maybe. Then... I, I, I've seen all the Child's Play. I don't remember Keanu. But maybe he was like a grip on set. <laughs> and then they said, wow, you're stunningly good looking. Speak for me. And then he has Keanu Reeves' voice like, yes. Say this line quick. All right. That is uh, Six Degrees of MMO for this week. But we're not done with audience interaction yet. 
MMO ass question was if sports teams were named after movies once again, what would those sports <laughs> teams be named? This is a great question. Harkening back to the Mighty Ducks of the 90s, uh, Anaheim Ducks as they're known now. And of course the Toronto Raptors just won the NBA Finals. Yeah. They literally have a park called Jurassic Park yeah. where all the fans gather and watch the games in real time every game. Talk about copyright infringement. Yeah. So Mike, <laughs> any podcast at the letters N-E-P-O-D-W-I-L-L-D-O. They said the Baltimore Batman forever. <laughs> I don't know why that meant. That's so funny me to me. It's so funny. <laughs> the Baltimore Batman forever. Taking the field. Batman Forever might be a hilarious rewatch <laughs> that we have in mind yet. Maybe. If they ever actually get around to making a new Batman movie, could do it. That was a crazy movie. The Unlucky Ones at a T-U-O underscore podcast said the San Diego Anchorman. <laughs> San Diego Anchorman. Well, I just go great. fuck yourself written on the helmet. <laughs> uh, it's funny. Kobe Mack at Kobe told me uh, said the Florida Crazies. New pro badminton team. <laughs> Except they're actually those undead or uh, sycophanted monsters that had the... Uh, what What even was the deal in the crazies? Was it a government thing? Or was that just the way remember. out? Was it a government experiment? Spoiler alert if we're stumbling over. No, I just it's remember, not a spoiler alert. I remember loving that movie. <laughs> yeah, the I remake that especially. Remake. Absolutely. The original was interesting too. I don't know George A. Romero, the, yeah. The original. I think but that was Romero. Anyway. Uh, was it Poison? I don't remember what the hell but it was. they are functional. They're not total zombified. Right. So they, yeah, they could play badminton. Yeah. Probably pretty well. <laughs> you need like that laser focus, that dead-eyed focus to just, just be great at badminton. Just slow swings with the uh, racket, And though. you need a climate where you don't have any wind. <laughs> <laughs> I don't so know if that's makes Florida, a lot though. of sense. Or you got to play it indoors. Well, Florida is yes, hurricanes every twenty minutes or right, so. You got to play so, it indoors. Yeah. It's an indoor sport. Junk about movies is next. The New York Snakes are actually the New York Pliskins. Sounds better. They can relocate and become the Los Angeles Pliskins eventually. I see what he's doing there. That's awesome. <laughs> I appreciate that. Captain Magnifico of Spacecom at Doctor Underscore Magnifico. <laughs> the Joylet Jakes. Jo- Juliet. Joliet Jakes. Juliet is a place is Juliet where, a city? I thought he's from Spacecom. I didn't know he was from <laughs> Juliet. I mean, have it in, anyway. That, that's awesome. That's awesome. We got to look up right now if Juliet's a city. <laughs> An EW Awards ace at Eric Weber said the Edmonton Endgamers is straight fire. I do appreciate that one. That would I be love nice. that. I figured that would come quick. Like I was going to say Jacksonville Jedi, you know, Anaheim Endgame. If Endgamers. ever there was a city not worthy of having a team named the Jedi. You're right. <laughs> no, <laughs> Jacksonville. We, we all love Jacksonville. But yeah, Juliet, Illinois, real city. Maybe, maybe that's where Spacecom is located. So by Jake's, is he saying the two Jake's from, from Chinatown? No, the two Jake's from uh, Blues Brothers. Oh, okay. I was thinking Chinatown Blues all the time. That's my fault. I'm stupid. We I'm sorry, Dr. Magnifico. We stepped on all of his great jokes there. Finally, Tom Hanks Defense Force at Tom Hanks Defense with a C said the Houston Hanks. Hanks's. <laughs> that... that Maybe the most on-brand account in all of film Twitter. They, they do not stray from their lane. So on-brand. We are jealous, and we bow to you. Yes. Great job. Great job. We'll move into a box office update, Michael. What happened at the movies this weekend? Toy Story 4 got first place this weekend with a 118 domestic cum, a 120 international for a total of $238 million on a $200 million budget. There's an IndieWire article that uh, we both read by Tom Brugeman, Mike, that said 
do we need to reset expectations because the conservative expectation that Disney came out yeah. with this week was 140 yeah and it didn't which was much lower than other sources we cited when we did the osp of toy story 4 we i read two or three sources that had it anywhere from 150 to 200 which was high because we had just in talking about it the previous week saw that 150 was probably where this was going to land so we thought this was going to do beyond expectations and it falls well well short so domestically it fell fell well short of the new set of expectations that came out as of Thursday, this was saying, we were, we were reading Variety, and they were saying 100 to 150. Yeah. And so if you got 118, all right, that's on par. Now, I think some are hit in a big way, at least in the Northeast. I think that was a factor here. I don't necessarily think that we need to just go all gloom and doom on the industry. Oh, the sequel thing's not working. I don't know. But at the same time, I, I totally see it. It's a connection to that. Uh, Brugman makes some good points in his articles. He's, he's going on a weekend-by-weekend basis, comparing it just to last year, which which wasn't a you know a banner year for movies, but the industry was down overall comparing weekends. There's clearly something going on with sequels. I mean, yeah. we talked about it during last year's box office report that if Toy Story 4 flopped, I said I would start having issues. That didn't flop. But this is a lot lower than I thought we were going to get for a Toy Story sequel. And now maybe there is something to it. We're going to have, I mean, God forbid, can you imagine Star Wars not living up to projections and expectations? That'll really indicate that something's going on here. Maybe we're all sequeled out. I don't know. I mean, I think it was a movie event for the Avengers. I think it's going to be a movie event for Episode Nine. Yeah, look, I mean, give us giving us all these sequels that we're not all that excited for, Nobody wants Men in Black, and that one had a mess of a production story anyway. Yeah, This one made money. It's going to make money at the end of the day. And Toy Story 4 is a great sequel. It's not a good sequel. It's a great sequel. I stand by that. I think it's going to be around come Oscars time, even in the Best Picture conversation. It's fantastic. We gave a rave review. It's going to probably make more than three, or it's going to be close. Because three made 1.1 or 1.2 billion. Three was uh, 1.066 at the box office. I don't know why that number sticks in my head so well, but it does. You have good recall. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, Child's Play also opened up this weekend. $14 million opening on a $10 million budget. That's going to creep towards break-even, you would think. I think it'll eventually get there. It's got to make money, right? For I mean, unless that budget is totally conservative. Well, the know, audience has been losing about a 55 to 60% clip on a week-to-week basis, so it's going to take about three weeks, uh, based on projections anyway, if it follows that pattern. I was doing the math last night. It's going to take about three weeks just to get to like 21, 22 domestically, 22 million. It's gonna make something international, though, right? I mean, it's gotta make. I hope so. It's gonna make thirty million. But right now, like, is that a win at the box office in general? That you, you're relying on the international yeah. market so heavily. I mean, they definitely wanted it to be the next Halloween, right? And make a hundred million yeah. or hundreds of millions. But if they make fifty million on this, and uh, it had a ten million dollar budget, that would essentially mean that it made twenty million. If you make, I would think. It's yeah. good business, right? right there, I would think. It, but again, it you know, it's, it's just a question of: Are you happy having the profit? Are you upset that the profit's wholly coming from the international market? Because the domestic box office just isn't living up to expectations. I just right don't now. know how they're hedging their business model. If, yeah. they, if they expect this ten million dollar budget to equate to a hundred million dollars in profit, then they're going to be upset. Well. I mean, we'll talk about something that happened later on in the list. But Aladdin also had another $12.2 million this weekend. That's up to $810 million internationally. I don't think I've ever been more wrong about a movie in my life. Although I stand by it's not a quality film. <laughs> well, here's the thing. like we were, I was down on Child's Play. You were really down on Aladdin. Yes. 
we both want to see both movies now because they kind of got the 60% yeah. mark. And I, I'm going to review a 60% movie later on or really a 50% movie. And sometimes those are really fun to review because there's no consensus in either direction and we can just make up our own gosh right. darn mind. Good point. So I'm kind of in for that. At fourth place, Mike, Men in Black International had a $10.7 million weekend, 52-129 for a $182 million total on a $110 million budget. That's not good business. $52 million domestically, and that's only going to keep you. It's, it's $10 million weekends are over as of, as of this week, so it's relying on like $4 million next weekend. Ugh. Yikes. Yeah. Not good. Secret Life of Pets 2, $10.2 million weekend for a $117 domestic total 77 international total 194 worldwide total on an 80 million dollar budget that's very close to breaking even yep. at this point if not breaking even so that's good rocket man and rocket man came in sixth with a 5.6 million dollar weekend 77 slash 76 153 million dollar total off a 40 million dollar budget that has made money yeah so that's kind of what i'm focusing on for this week for the box office board i feel like we talk weekly about how mid-budget movies are dying out but it's not like it's been exactly a lush playscape for small budget movie or indies either how ironic is it though that that very particular type of film while getting muscled out through streaming services and corporate merging, yeah. that's like the only type of film that's actually making money, it seems like, domestically anymore. Rocket Man is about four times its $40 million budget already. Ma just crossed $56 million worldwide on a $5 million budget. I know Glass was technically a sequel, but it still was able to do almost $250 million worldwide on a $20 million. I mean, the upside, for Christ's sake, made $3.25 back for every $1 put into production. So these smaller budget ones are still making money, and yet the industry is kind of turning away from them and focusing only on these sequels and these big budget remakes yeah. and, and franchise films. they got to crunch the numbers. I wonder what the percentages are, how many $20 million productions how many 40 million dollar productions can you make and actually make money does one in ten quadruple its budget or does one in three quadruple its budget? yeah that's a good point but i mean is there ma 55 million dollars is a huge win for something like huge ma, right win. huge win uh, yeah i mean the horror movie model is tried and true for right. sure now we got this musical biopic model where you're making four times the budget and that's not even close to what Bohemian Rhapsody just made. Are you looking forward to the Neil Diamond biopic that's sure to come soon? <laughs> They're all coming. <laughs> They're all coming. Mike, I just wanted to say Anna was DOA after a $3.5 million weekend. Yeah, no juice for that one. Sorry, Luke Besson. <laughs> and Wild Rose, I kind of didn't know what it was about after last week. This is Jesse Buckley's English country music movie. I didn't know anything about it. Next Best Picture, our friends over there, Matt Negley and company, covered the hell out of it this past week. I'm really psyched about it now. 93% Rotten Tomato score, 78 Meta score. Maybe it's oscar at the end of the day, but Wild Rose, that it's going to expand in a limited release, did well in terms of the per theater count, or strong, so I'm in. 7.4 right now on IMDb as well. Yeah, cool. Didn't know anything about it either, so that's good to hear. Maybe that one will be another low-budget one that ends up making money. Uh, we will see. And Love we're Jesse Buckley. Ask ourselves right now if we care about other stories.
This is the Do You Care segment. This is where Mike and I take news stories of the week, and we ask each other, do we, should we, or will we care about them? The way we start off these segments every week is we take the upcoming uh, releases that are coming out in theaters this week, and I ask Mike if we care about them. Only a couple stories this week for Do You Care, but we'll start here. Annabelle Comes Home, and yesterday are the two movies going nationwide this week, and Maiden also comes out in limited release. Do we care about any of those? So Maiden, for sure, 96% Rotten Tomatoes. Again, next best picture champion in that movie, so I, I want to see this documentary it's the story of tracy edwards a 24 year old cook on charter boats who became the skipper of the first ever all-female crew to enter the white the whitbread excuse me whitbread round of the world race in 1989 big big deal so i'm in yeah now we're we were both in for yesterday the beatles Mm kind of high concept out of the bottle danny boyle and Annabelle Comes Home. We're, we were in for both of those. I think the reviews for yesterday were down. Now they're going up again to 69% Rotten Tomatoes, somewhere in there. So I'm kind of feeling better about it once more. Annabelle Comes Home, we don't have any reviews yet. We're still thinking about it. You, you're going to get a new movie at some point from us again. <laughs> we don't we just, know what it is. just though. don't know what yet. Uh, yesterday, sitting at a 6.5 IMDb, a 54 Metascore overall. Not wildly encouraging numbers, but of the two, I'm more excited for Annabelle. And I yeah. think that might be an indictment on Danny Boyle. I don't know, but I don't... This movie makes no sense. <laughs> this movie <laughs> just makes no sense to me. It's... Based on Beatles nostalgia, right? I guess, yeah. So if you're a big Beatles fan, which I'm not, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's not that I'm not a fan. I like the hits, but I don't know the Beatles that well. I am a big fan, and my father grew up listening to them. But, it, like, they're trying to work in this love story, and Ed Sheeran is playing a huge role in a Danny Boyle film. I mean, what is happening? <laughs> Danny Boyle doesn't make many bad movies. No, that's true. That's true. So I'm probably in. At some point, I'm in... For sure. It's just whether I see it in theaters and whether we break our butts to review yeah. it or not, we'll see. Brian Singer replaced by transparent creator Jill Soloway on Red Sonia. This is long overdue, correct? Yeah, no kidding. I, of course we care about this because Brian Singer shouldn't be in the movie industry anymore. Yeah. Uh, along with other people, he's had a lot of... a lot of victims coming out and alleging horrible things done to them on behalf of him and if we're going to act like this and say that these people aren't worthy of careers in the movie industry, then he's not worthy of a career in the movie industry if these allegations are, are, are founded and they seem to be with if a lot of founded, people. Prosecute and investigate and let's go. We'll have more to talk about that. Jill Soloway did a great job with Transparent. She's been both a producer and a director of that. She's also did a couple episodes of I Love Dick, I think, that Amazon series. So I'm excited and to have a woman director for a superhero film, yeah. that's a big deal. I mean, Patty Jenkins knocked it out of the park with Wonder Woman. Got a lot of acclaim and praise, and people loved it. Red Sonja is also a female character, so why wouldn't we want a female perspective? I think it just, I mean, she probably should have been the pick from the outset. Is that the Conan the Barbarian universe? Yeah, I think so. It was a, uh, it's one of those barbarian type movies, and it was a character played by Brigitte Nielsen in 1985. Yeah. Might be time for an update. Looks like it. Looks like I did a quick Google search myself, <laughs> and I think that's correct. Everybody yell at us if not. Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio's Killers of the Flower Moon was purchased by Paramount. This is an incredible true story based on the David Grand book, The Killers of the Flower Moon, The Osage Murders, and The Birth of the FBI. It looks like there's a huge conspiracy involved with all these murders committed against rich Native Americans. Hmm. And you have 
big names who are behind all of the conspiracy theories, I think. And then you have J. Edgar Hoover at the center of an FBI which was corrupt earlier and then debatably does something right here and they actually figure out this conspiracy. Because every, every cop who investigated was murdered. Every wealthy Native American was murdered in, in, in Osage, wherever that is. My God. Yeah, it's exciting for sure. And it's Scorsese, his next work, I would think, after The Irishman, if that ever actually comes out. Uh, he's listed as the director. Leo's listed not as J. Edgar Hoover on IMDb, but as a man named Tom White. It's going to be interesting okay. to watch so him interact with J. Edgar Hoover. There's a couple articles I read say they didn't know who he was playing yet, but he's not playing J. Edgar Hoover again. Unless Tom White's just a John Doe type name that IMDb attaches, I don't know. But There is an undercover story to this as well, undercover cop story. So that, that it's fascinating. The oh. first ever Native American FBI agent or the first ever undercover Native American FBI agent. So it seems intense, seems like a, a huge story. Just put out the Irishman. For Christ's sake, enough. <laughs> Just put it out. <laughs> then we'll start a... talking about your flower right. moon killers. <laughs> right. They're getting us excited about the next movie. <laughs> yeah, that's not good. That's not good business. <laughs> All right. We're watching stuff, and this is what we're watching. Mike, I'm transitioning for you. Thank you. Go ahead. You had a lot of stuff to cover for what we're watching this week. All right. So I watched Matthew McConaughey's The Beach Bum. This is the Harmony Corrine movie. Harmony Corrine is an acquired taste. You know, he tried to steal, uh, he tried to rob Meryl Streep's purse backstage at Letterman one day. What? And that's how he got banned from the Letterman show. Oh, God. Kids, Gummo. Uh, he also did Spring Breakers. Yeah. He also robbed Meryl Streep's purse <laughs> on Letterman. Or at least was rummaging through it, and Letterman himself <laughs> caught him. The dude is as wild as these movies, it seems. This is a lot of movie, let me say. I think I would have liked it if I watched it ten minutes at a time. I, I don't like this because there's really no conflict except for one moment of conflict in the middle of the movie or maybe two moments of conflict. Otherwise, it's just Matthew McConaughey having a blast, having a great time with Snoop Dogg, et cetera, et cetera, living in this fantasy world. And it's t a total fantasy. It's like a rich person's fantasy, rich stoner's fantasy, I guess. So this is not something that's imperative viewing. We have to do, like, real things and make real money and have real lives. And this is, to me, it made me aggravated as much. Like, I don't, I hate to be the square here, but I'm the square here. At least, you know, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, you got a lot of conflict there. Mm -hmm. Train spotting, you got a lot of conflict. If you're going to do one of these, you know, trippy, you know, thrillers, you can make a better movie. And this, to Fair me, enough. wasn't there. I watched Murder Mystery, Mike. I want to watch this still. Jennifer Aniston, Adam Sandler. Worth a few laps. I imagine it's exactly what you think it is. Yeah. The act, once the action picks up, I'm barely paying attention. I'm on Twitter. I'm on my laptop. Like, I just went numb to the action at the end of this movie. So I don't even know what happened. I, I remember looking up. <laughs> like, I was watching this movie fairly closely, and then I got to doing stuff. Maybe this is on me. I don't like it. Sorry. Well, I, I'm still going to watch it. <laughs> well, I just farted on it. Anyway, everybody knows, Mike, Oscar Farhadi. This Penelope one was Cruz, one that we thought looked good, but it got kind of middling reviews. Javier Bardem, this was that illusion I made earlier to a film that got middling reviews that I wanted to look at, and I was really glad I did because I come out very high in this movie. Good. Now, it's not a perfect movie. It's a, it's a B grade for me. But I loved this enthralling mystery. I thought you had great performances at the center of it by everybody involved, not just the two leads. And I thought it was a superior version 
of an Oscar-nominated story from our 2017 campaign. If I say which story that is, it'll spoil this movie because there's a major (laughs) Act 2 twist or Act 1 twist involved. So, yeah, this is worth watching. I mean, I don't want to hype it up too much. It's not a great movie, but it's more than a solid watch. Again, Oscar for Hardy doesn't make bad movies. Well, I'll watch anything he does. Great so job. everybody knows this is the greatest movie of 2019, according <laughs> to Mike. Go on. I watched The Isle. This was a horror movie that I thought was a hidden treasure on <laughs> Showtime. <laughs> yep. Like, am I finding a cool new movie that nobody knows about, that nobody's talking about? It's about a few shipwrecked sailors stumbling upon a mysterious island in Scotland in 1846. It had good reviews. I thought I was finding something fun, and it was so freaking boring. I should have skipped that. I should have shut it off. I shouldn't have watched the whole thing, but I watched the whole thing out of respect for these, you know, indie filmmakers. I want to give indie films good reviews. I really do. Of course. I can't give this one a good review. It just bored me to tears. Uh, 6.1 on IMDb, no meta rating attached to it, and there's a... Good trailer. White lady that looks like a ghost staring at me right now. Yeah, she's a whatever. All right. (laughs) She's a whatever. Mike, I watched a couple of... Also Mike's review of the aisle, (laughs) she's a whatever. (laughs) I watched a couple of quote-unquote classics. Last night, I watched my dinner with Andre. I figured I was going to fall asleep to it. Mm -hmm. I was mesmerized. It is literally one sit-down conversation between Rex from Toy Story (laughs) slash the inconceivable gangster character from The Princess Bride that's a terrible impression Wallace Shaw our friend Wallace Shaw and I was like wait Wallace Shaw wrote and starred in this I gotta watch it Andre Gregory who I'm not familiar with also wrote and starred with it they're starring as themselves and this is like the craziest conversation ever. It t- takes me back to college to all those t- oh, way too deep conversations. So what is it? Just like a deeply philosophical and theoretical? freaking lootly Is the camera just fixated on them the whole right, time? Yeah, playwright and, and uh, actor and you know, director or whatever. They're talking about everything and anything. It connects so much to our modern day living. I have to check this out. This was fascinating, and it's two hours, and it goes by, and I, I was just enthralled. How is this script not nominated for an Oscar? Maybe that's a snub going way back. If our podcast is half <laughs> as captivating as this conversation that was filmed cinematically, it's the least cinematic thing ever to film, to record, and yet, you know, uh, it is. It's great. I recommend it. Now, I bought my father Father's Day gifts, or a bunch of Father's Day gifts. It was like a grab bag of Father's Day gifts. Okay. And I ironically bought him all the right moves. I bought as a joke. And I, I said to him at the time, like, Dad, I'll watch him with you on the weekends when I'm over. I did. I watched all the right moves with him. It wasn't as terrible as I thought it could have been. I mean, it's fairly progressive, racially speaking, even though there's... There's some stuff going on. This is the Tom Cruise movie from 1983? In terms of men and women, it is not progressive (laughs) at all. It's basically fucking chauvinistic. It it didn't work. The football is bad, and the coaching is terrible and criminal. This is Craig T. Nelson. Why do you watch sports movies anymore? Craig you know you're just going to criticize the coach. Grabbing face masks, and he's like pushing kids around, and then he's like a terrible mentor. He's just blaming the kids when they lose. What an asshole. Yeah, there's an arc for him, but I don't want an arc for him. He's an asshole. He, get, he does all this, and he gets promoted to, to a college football job. Give me a break. And, and the football's bad, so sorry. I mean, Tom Cruise is actually a good athlete. Uh, he's got yeah, de- sure. defensive back skills. Yep. So in the football, I've seen worse football. <laughs> Let me be honest, but it's still bad. So no, All the Right Moves is not as good. Dad and I had a laugh. 
because it was kind of a bad, awesomely bad movie at times. I can't believe you bought that for him. You make fun of my DVD purchases. It was a bad purchase. <laughs> I watched Memories of Murder. Uh, this is Bong Joon-ho, still an effective yeah. film. I'm a huge fan. It just messes with me. I, now, this is not a movie for everybody. It's probably not the movie you're thinking of right now because you're thinking of a murder mystery with really awesome American cops, right? Because mm. every uh, American murder mystery, you got these really high-level cops. Right. This is out there in the sticks in Korea, and these cops are knuckleheads, <laughs> and they're criminals, <laughs> and they're doing stuff like they're beating up prisoners, and these characters are complex, and like I said, they're fumbling around, Mike. Which film demanded more of your attention between Memories of a Murder or Everybody Knows? Ooh, I really focused on Everybody Knows, okay. and I kind of, but I, I totally shut the laptops off for both of them. All right. That's not true. I watched Everybody Knows mostly on my laptop. But then I finished it on my TV. Gotcha. I did a a dual thing. I was eating on the deck watching Everybody Knows. I kept watching it. It was nice. It was pleasant. It's good. We both watched the NBA draft. Yeah. My Knicks actually did what I wanted them to do. Yeah, you had a great night. Your Celtics made you mad. They suck. So I'm much perkier in this episode. Yeah. You are more down in the dumps. Well, let's... Now everybody knows why that happened. Hold off on the draft for a sec, because I have something to say about it as well. Uh, Let's see by Skip. You watched a lot of stuff this week, so let's let's randomly just pick a couple, I guess. We'll go with... We'll go with stuff you weren't crazy about. The Isle, Murder Mystery, and The Beach Bum. See by Skip those. Oh. I have to buy one? Yeah, because I'm going to be depressed when I talk. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're Celtics. All right, I'll say I'll buy the Beach Bum, because it wasn't terrible. It was fun. Okay. I will skip Murder Mystery. and oh, I that's will, sad. I will somehow, because I love independent films and small movies. I love how and we rationalize these things. <laughs> I will see the aisle get again and give it another chance. All right. What's the best thing you watched this week, Michael? The best thing I watched this week was Hannah Gadsby's stand-up special, Nanette. This blew my freaking mind. What a story she has to tell. It makes me emotional just thinking about it right now. It's a bit of a slow starter. The comedy's there, but it, you know she's got a very clever sense of humor. She's also talking about a lot of serious things. So it's, it's, a, it's a tightrope act huh. for her to talk about serious things and for her to make you laugh in the process. Yeah. And she still made me laugh hard like four times in here. I heard about her on Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. He interviewed her. It's a terrific podcast. I recommend it. It's a great podcast. And what a worthwhile comedy special. It's the best thing I watched this week, period. Watch it, and you'll you'll see why. I watched a little bit of it. I don't. Th- I think I've seen some clips online or something, but it's, uh, it's kind of well-known around stand-up circles as well. You see a lot of stand-up comedy uh, uh, acts when they're on podcasts and on their friends' podcasts yeah. referring to it and talking about it. And, yeah, it seems to have left a very lasting impact on the industry at large, which is kind of cool to see. In terms of structure, the setups and payoffs are incredible. They're right. bri- brilliant, l- level brilliant. Good. I mean, so... I- I'm just thrilled uh, for her, and, you know, she really taught me a lot. I mean, I'm a straight white man, and she taught me a lot here. It's incredible. And the net on Netflix. Good. I'm glad to hear that, and I'm glad that was the best thing you saw this week. I got to check that out. I got to check out Dinner with Andre, too. You watch the movies. I kind of took the the more holistic approach of just genre watching and channel watching at large. I actually didn't do television this week. I mean okay. channels in terms of like YouTube, YouTube channels. channels. Well, you we'll do this every other week, so this is yeah. good. This is good. It, it, well, I, I I have a trifecta of depression, no. so my see by skip will <laughs> be very interesting. But I watched the NBA draft and then just wallowed in misery for the next few days. You did, except this time it was different because I had something directly to blame it on instead of just general life. But boy, the Celtics sucked. 
They You're blew not that happy. fucking draft. I'm furious they about three it. Three picks. They eventually took three people. Yeah. They got rid of some salary. Yeah. Now, do you think a big name free agent? Because no, everybody... it's gonna be Vucevic. We're gonna waste thirty million dollars on that fucking hack you, from Orlando because we're chasing Al, what Al Horford left behind. All right. Well, I hate when teams chase what left their team with a worse option. So yeah. whether that's whether that's Vucevic or whether that's Stephen Adams trading for none of that makes sense. Don't do it. If you're gonna punt on rebounding, punt on rebounding. Now, if they. Now, is getting Steven Adams plus a pick from Oklahoma City, is that like one of those coy ver- versions of, not tanking, but you get a good player. I mean, if they give us a pick. The money, they have to give you a pick. I don't think that. What I don't about think Capella? Okay. No. I don't know. Just get great. D'Angelo Russell and <laughs> shut up everything else. If you trade these bums you drafted. I hope I'm wrong about Romeo Langford, but man, he did not leave a good taste in my mouth. So D'Lo is the one upside move you have for this team. Obviously, the big name Russell Brogdon or Randall. One of those three has to be. Oh, you think you like Brogdon? You like Randall? One of those three has to be assaulted. Otherwise, I don't know what we're doing with this cap space. If it's Vucevic, we're screwed. Everybody, it's coming. NBA free agency (laughs) is going to be a big deal for Mike and Mike. I know we're talking about NBA every week now. You hated that last minute. If you're not a big fan of the NBA, (laughs) but it's intriguing to you. I'm going to try to hook you in psychologically about us. Because if you're listening at this point in the podcast, you like us. (laughs) Hopefully. I think we hope, or you love to hate us. Right. One of the two. Or. Yeah, so we're fine. With that's either, that's really. why. Or what else you watch? Mike? I watch a lot of YouTube. This is what I'm talking about: channel surfing. And the last few weeks, I've commented on how I've been watching this these documentary series or that channel, and and it's kind of made me study what's going on out there for YouTube. Because for those of you who don't know, we plan on expanding the video in the not too distant future. So I'm kind of trying to like take note of some popular channels and see what they do and see yeah. what their hooks are. And we've all been that. studying it. YouTube's really become a negative space, and it's just depressing, and it makes me really sad because I feel like the most popular channels are either one of three different types. You're either a so-called drama channel, which are personalities who clearly don't know how to handle fame. You're a voice of reason channel who try to be the ombudsman in the room and of the site at large, but Mm. nine times out of ten, they just end up trashing other channels anyway, which inherently creates drama, so that's an issue. Or you're genuinely a decent channel, except you're mired in the cesspool with 99% of the other channels out there that are just drama and out for themselves, that the decent channels come off as fake (laughs) and self-serving. So I know this is speaking generally, and not every channel is like this, but a lot of these hundreds of thousands of subscribers and millions plus subscribers, they really do involve themselves with drama and channel the channel drama, and it's just... I, I worry. I, I know I sound like an old fogey. I worry about our kids and, oh. and the future of the world, and that this is what they're exposing themselves to daily instead of like the X Men cartoons that we had growing up. I'm just having inside out flashbacks right now because you've turned all my memories of YouTube to blue, <laughs> and I'm trying to summon my you know Amy Poehler voice here yeah. and be joy. But I don't know. I mean, we're tr- we've been trying to navigate this for a while. We've been having production meetings on how we could attack YouTube, how we can get on yeah. there. Because we want to, and then we think it'll help, you know, MMO overall. And uh, we love YouTube. Yeah, we do. Right. I love the medium. And there's there are some genuinely decent people on there. And there are some people that are trying to be middle of the road and call other channels out when they're trying to exploit, whether it's their watchers or their viewers or kids in general or whatever. So there is still some good to it. But the more I research into it and do the channels and research YouTube as a whole in general and how they rank stuff and prioritize their 
hot and trending stuff. It looks like a minefield, honestly. Right. Well, so. we're going to find a way to get through the minefield. Yeah, hopefully. We're going to uh, just put out good old-fashioned movie reviews, good old-fashioned movie and analysis. And not interact with any other channel. Exactly. <laughs> the third level of sadness <laughs> is WWE. I know you're sick of hearing me talk about pro wrestling, but they had a pay-per-view last night called Stomping Ground, and it wasn't even bad. I'm just in such a funk watching wrestling lately because somebody's got to do something to turn this company around. You hear stories about creative from David Shoemaker's podcast, The Mass Man Show, which is on the ringer and he yeah. has ex-WWE writers come in and talk about how they come up with all these great ideas and people want to blame creative for everything but nothing gets by Vince McMahon and nine times out of ten they'll have a great idea and McMahon will shut it down and the one idea that does get through he'll end up changing at the last second anyway so and that's where we get this cookie cutter crap that we've been getting for pro wrestling from WWE it's so sad as a lifelong fan to have to put up with this um but I know people are sick of hearing me complain about sports and pro wrestling, so I'll also say I rewatched Halloween and it's still great, and I watched season two of The Good Place and it's tremendous. So there's some positivity to end on. We bury the lead, Josh. <laughs> no, I need to be sad. All right. Well, you needed to be sad. Be Amy Poehler for Mike's. Uh, who did the voice of sadness again? It was, oh, it was uh, from Phyllis, the office. From Phyllis. the office. Yeah. Yes. Very sad. That uh, you're sad. Yeah. And I suck at transition. What was the best thing you watched this week? Let me... let me. The Good Place. All right. So the, the Good, good place, place is the best thing I watched this week. I'm trying to find season three. I can only find like the last five episodes of it, but I watched season two in whole. It's one of the best sitcoms on TV. It's like an old school sitcom too. It's an NBC show, the commercial breaks and all that, but it's so funny. All right. Well, let me guard myself now. So see by skip. Jesus. NBA stuff on YouTube, or NBA stuff in general, wrestling stuff on YouTube, <laughs> or documentary stuff slash research on YouTube. You gotta see by skip those. I will, you gotta what? Where are some silver linings? I will buy the YouTube stuff only because it merits research, and I think there is a way you can kind of circumvent it all and all right. turn things around. Uh, God, I'm so that's your YouTube research. You're going to buy that. Yes. It's working even though you're in a dark place with it. He, he, it's not hard to get to dark places on that site. Okay. What are you going to see? What's your, <sighs> find a silver lining with wrestling no, or Jesus NBA. There's, you there's can do this. Come on. no silver lining with the Celtics. These are entertaining <laughs> conglomerates. You have Jason Tatum. You have good players on your Celtics. I hope they all die. They're young. No, no come on. <laughs> uh, I, I will. There's still hope for the Celtics, so I'll see the Celtics. Because they haven't spent that cap money on Vucevic yet. So until that happens, I have hope. You still have hope. And the WWE needs a change. I mean, they, they, they radically need something to happen with that company. They started kind of a new storyline last night with Becky Lynch and Seth Rollins, who are a couple in real life, and they have them being a couple on screen, and they both hold the belts for the primary show, the flagship show in Raw. Hopefully that goes somewhere, but WWE needs a radical shift, and I don't, yeah. I don't know how that's coming. Um, for the sake of no way to transition into this, we're just going to transition into it. This would be usually where we stop this episode. There's a quite a big news story that also came out this week. Uh, it's not good, and it's it's heavy and yeah. it's gross. We wanted to talk about it. We needed to talk about it because it involves a director and a writer in Hollywood and a, a very famous person from a famous lineage. Uh, we wanted to stick it at the end of the episode because we wanted to pass comment on it, but we didn't want to have it be like a turd in the punch bowl right in the middle of MMO Weekly. So we're going to talk about Max Landis for the last few minutes of this show. Uh, Max Landis is a writer-director in Hollywood. He did Chronicle. He did stuff like Victor Frankenstein. He did Bright. He did American Ultra. Uh, he's either written or directed all of those. Chronicle was really good. I loved Chronicle. I still haven't seen Bright. The Daily Beast came out with an article. Uh, Amy Zimmerman wrote it, and 
essentially what it was, was this group of eight women came out this week to accuse Max Landis of whether it was sexual abuse, sexual assault, rape, uh, attempted rape, all these really heinous, disgusting things. A lot of them use pseudonyms in the article. It's on the Daily Beast. Yeah. I just wanted to talk personally for a second about uh, my experience and, and how I viewed Max Landis. I always thought he was a super inspirational and a super talented person. And I followed him on Twitter back in the day before MMO was a thing. And I actually reached out to him when I had a blog. I tried to get to know him and try to interview him. He, I, he never returned, but... I was a fan of his, and he would help writers online. He would yeah. help people. He would inspire people on Twitter. He took his time out of his day to respond to fans and talk them through things. And he seemed on the, on his face to be a really genuine dude. And then you click through and you start doing research about him, and this stuff would pop up, and usually it would be like one-off story here, one-off story here, but mm -hmm. you would find people on social media saying this heinous shit about him. And I remember it would come up in, like, waves. And there was one wave, which the Daily Beast article, Amy Zimmerman's article, touches on. In 2017, there was a wave of people on social media that all at once were talking about either directly or indirectly what a terrible person he was and how he's a, 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 a criminal, quite frankly, in sex assault and all these uh, various things. And this was all framed by people having either friends that experienced, they went through these trials with him allegedly, or saw these things firsthand at parties allegedly. So it was already believable. One person shouting out that this happened to them is enough, but now with this crescendo of these eight women all coming out together and being referenced in this article and being sourced in this article, I mean, this is a bad guy. This is a criminal that does not deserve to be in Hollywood Period. at all. Is this under investigation now? Is this being processed? So they talked about some of that in the article. Yeah. And what they talked about is that he, I mean, he's uh, comes from John Landis, is a very famous director, American Werewolf in Paris, a couple other big movies. Is his father, Max Landis' father, obviously is wealthy, comes from money. Uh, and with that, as is usually the case with these type of Hollywood people that turn out to be power-reliant and kind of scummy, very scummy, uh, he has high-powered attorneys. And these high-powered attorneys kind of belittle and squeeze the victim to keep them quiet and have them drop the case. And they cited one or two examples of that exactly happening. And that's why, yes, ideally, the criminal justice system getting behind these people and putting them away would be perfect. It's just not going to happen a lot of times for reasons like this. And it's disgusting and it's sad and I don't know what to do about it and I don't know how we reform it. But a guy like this, never mind making movies in Hollywood probably should be saved from himself if he if this kind of continued behavior that's been alleged against him uh, is is accurate i'm distraught at the fact that it's not being prosecuted right now that uh whatever the holes of the legal system are not believing these women even though we have journalists who are mm -hmm. and that's to be commended of, I, I think and, yeah and i agree we we believe uh this yeah it's a, it's a disgusting story but a necessary story and uh We'll keep track of it, and we, we felt we had to weigh in on it. Yeah, we hate talking about it. I mean, we really do. We hate talking about this shit because it makes us uncomfortable and awkward, and, I mean, we're two people that have couldn't have less to do with any kind of situation. Yeah. Never mind what it must feel like for these victims and people that have this strength to come forward and talk about it on their own and their families and all that. So we we, because of that, because it's such an endeavor on their end, we feel it is our duty to at least highlight it and mention it because when you find that strength and you do do that, yeah. I mean, these bad people deserve to be taken to task. And, and that could justice. be a silver lining of the Me Too movement that happened a couple years back. Fingers crossed, yeah. And if it gets prosecuted decades earlier, 
than it would have been if it was hidden other, under the rug, rug and we had a culture that was just doing that. That would have been the nightmare that we live mm-hmm. or that everybody else lived. I mean, we're, I'm talking like we. Everybody else had to live through for centuries. At least now we hope, we think the whistle would blow sooner on these guys. That it is seems the hope. like yeah. this happened and, and that's something to be I don't know if celebrated is, but that's something to be commended. Yeah. I mean celebration's a harsh it's a it's a happy word and I don't mean to use a happy word there, but sure. commended. No, sure. I think your your intent is in the right place certainly and tough, tough. Yeah, awful, awful story. Um God bless those women who had to be on the ordeal of this of all these uh, other end of these allegations and I don't know. I mean, you hope that this is true and that, and, well, you hope that him being taken to task is true and yeah. that he does serve some sort of punishment and that the more of this keeps happening. You root for the justice system You, you certainly do. You root for, at least for justice in some way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, again, didn't want to have that sticking out in the middle of, didn't want to start on such a dour note and a sour note but we cannot avoid these types of stories when they come to the forefront and it's actually a story we had our eye on for a couple weeks and then amy zimmerman just dropped this huge article i think it was last monday or tuesday on the daily beast definitely go check that out it's it's long it is super long but super uh interesting in the sense that he is not at all the man he portrays himself to be uh and it's really disheartening um but Hopefully we can transition out of that. We can wrap up here on MMO Weekly. I know it's a bit of a longer episode today, but we had a lot of stuff to cover, a lot of reviews to get through, and a lot of reviews for movies that we're not going to otherwise cover. That's the whole point of MMO Weekly. We like highlighting those types of movies. We like highlighting your guys' stuff. We have a whole new Six Degrees of MMO for you for next week. We got those three new awards that we're going to give out every week for MMO Weekly Mm -hmm. now for Six Degrees of MMO, so be on the lookout for that. And bring your best, damn it. I want to see some creativity like we've never seen before. There's a scene in the dark night where he breaks a pool cue and throws it in the middle of a room yes he says figure it yeah. like that's what yeah, we're doing exactly that's i like that analogy think we're doing right now to all our six degrees of mmo we're trying to really heat it up uh you we can reach so. out to us like you always do we are mike mike and oscar on facebook mike mike and oscar on instagram mm and oscar on twitter mike mike and oscar at gmail.com.com and on reddit we are available everywhere you hear podcasts tune in stitcher soundcloud itunes spotify google play etc etc if you appreciate what we do here if you like listening to us every week here on mmo weekly or any of our rewatch series or any of our osps that we do if you take a couple seconds out of your day and give us that five star reviews on itunes those truly go a long way we read every single comment we get whether on itunes or social media and we cannot thank you all enough for taking time out of your day to send those along michael give these people some good words of wisdom to start their weeks with and uh let's talk about what's coming next from us as well okay it's tough to give words of wisdom after all the talk yeah. we had so i'm going to start with the last question first we're going to do a Pixar rewatch re-rank, and we're going to make that an award show. We already recorded it. It was a blast. We and, like uh, award shows, if that wasn't obvious by any of our logos. I think that's something <laughs> cool that we do, is like yeah, you know, throw an award show at the end of the rewatch. I and uh, I think that's something we've done a, bu- a couple times now. Yeah. And uh, it's it's like the highlight at the end of it all. So be ready for that. That's coming. Mm-hmm. And we've decided, after a pause. This is like our fourth take of this. <laughs> The editing sounds weird. This is why we had a production meeting. Quick one. We are going to do Annabelle Comes Home. No matter what Rotten Tomatoes has to say to us, we're going to do it. We are just bought in to the Conjuring universe at this point. So we're doing it. If it's a stinker, we will scream at it. 
We're what the poker players call pot committed. Pot committed. <laughs> whatever that means. Yeah. Come hither, whatever happens it on Rotten It can't be worse than the nun. <laughs> whatever it happens. It can't. And the, the nun critics. was awesomely bad anyway, so there were some goods to have in it. Uh, yeah, but that'll be next on deck. I mean, even if it's Annabelle 1 and it's awesomely bad and terrible. Right. All right well, you're going to find out. We're going to cover <laughs> Annabelle Creation as a movie event. We'll see what happens. And then we got Kill Bill Volume 2, the continuation of our Tarantino rewatch that we're excited about for this one. Any words of wisdom to follow that up with? All right, be afraid of Midsummer. <laughs> Watch Bong Joon-ho movies. Those are good rewatches. Wise. And have dinner with Andre. <laughs> Thank you. Right? And go check out that Queen and Slim trailer. Yes. That thing looked awesome. I can't Oscar-y. wait for it to come out. Uh, guys, when reality sucks, you can come watch movies with us. We're trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar, and we will see you soon. See you.